Case file number 5.11. Right to despair. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. He, nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. Oh, and, and the other one. The other one. Y- Ymir. No, he's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So we did a lot of DEF CON uh, this year. And I think one of the more interesting talks that we went to was the right to repair talk. You remember that one? I remember missing the one that Cory Doctorow was at, but I, mm. um, I'm i trying to... Yeah, th- this was the panel that had, uh, I think, uh, one of the guys from iFixit. The lawyer was there. Oh, right. I can't um, remember any other names. Well, no, 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 the guy's last name is Grant, uh, Joe Grant. Okay, he, yeah. So he was a member of the Loft, but right now he does a lot of hardware hacking stuff. And he did a really interesting series on YouTube about recovering a crypto wallet hardware key. Oh, that's um, cool. I, I need to watch that. As I recall, and it's been a bit since I watched it, uh, it was a combination of some deep kung fu and some very minor flaws in some design stuff that he was able to exploit. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he's got chops for a reason. He was on the panel right, right. for a reason. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. great feats of strength and hackery. Um, his background goes way back to to the OG days. Although yeah, we yeah. still need to do another uh, an episode on the loft and their testimony to Congress, which is yes. uh, which is a big story that I've been that I reserve, but I got behind on some of the stuff I wanted to do because of that whole uh, crypto war set series. Yes, yes, exactly. So yeah, yeah. Today, today's right to repair, uh, which you know, as far as topics go, I feel feel is uh, very straightforward since the name reflects the actual concept it's trying to get across. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is you pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for some of these things. Um, and why shouldn't you be able to like monitor or repair it yourself? Um, you own the device. Like, why why can't you just tinker around with it? Because it's less profitable for the companies if you do. Exactly. Yeah, it boils down pretty much to that. People are fairly familiar with the um, the void your warranty slips, uh, the thing on your mattress. You know, oh, if you tear this off, like you know, avoids all the warranties, and the FBI is going to come helicopter down into your house and carry you away, sort of thing. And one one of the one of the reasons a lot of companies kind of cite that they are against the right to repair is um, that you can't trust just any random shop with their device and your device. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you go to this, one of these like random shops, they're just going to download all your photos, um, anything you have on there, all your text messages, any nudes, like everything, they're just going to dump it all, throw it on the internet. And, 
And I think they, they touched on this in the panel um, that we've actually seen is this has happened to a lot of the quote unquote trusted shops yes. because they're really just third or fourth party shops that these companies uh, offhand the repairs yeah. to. Yeah. So, and they, they don't really do any vetting of these shops. So, you know, while they're sitting there saying, you can't trust the shops you would go to, they're implicitly saying, well, trust the shops that, you know, we're not even right. going to look at. And we've already, we've seen other things in like the, there was a story about in the iPhone um, production process mm -hmm. where it's like, they pay attention just enough. Quality control is absolutely a thing that affects their bottom line, but they pay attention in terms of working conditions and whatnot just enough to meet regulation and yeah. no more unless it becomes a public relations problem yeah yeah exactly and i can't remember his name but like one of the members of the panel um i think he ran a repair uh shop out of new york city and he was talking about how how stingy apple's getting at this point where they were literally because of copyright um law they will go in and stamp their logo on every single piece of hardware inside your device no matter how small it is and so that means when he, you know, someone in China in the manufacturing plant is trying to like sell like parts that like Delta conveyor belt or whatever, the customs at the, the border will seize all of that. So now he's basically got to take packages for his repair shop, like the same way, you know, as if he was getting like drug shipments from El Jefe or, you know, Chapo yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah. So, so a uh, quick Google foo, uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it was the guy's name is Lewis Rossman. Oh, and, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's been running, I, I've caught some mm -hmm. of his videos on YouTube. He's gotten more and more politically active as time has gone on, mm -hmm. as his business has been more and more hamstrung by the, um, fencing around repair that uh vendors especially apple which is what his business was around right um like macbook mm -hmm. motherboard repair uh was kind of the core of his business but like you were saying the only way he can get parts is by scavenging them or yeah. by getting them through shipment specifically designed to get around customs investigation yeah and i think i think he was also the one that brought up the fact that even the socket standards they're like yeah. making their own so that like nothing else can fit inside there well so the one i specifically remember was he was like there would be a, it's a stator chip design that's used in a lot of places but the pinout was different yes. for the yes. one that they used mm -hmm. um so the die size everything production wise is exactly the same except there's one small difference in the circuit design that changes a couple of pins around and yeah if you tried you might be able to figure out a way to cross that up but there's just no room to do that stuff yeah 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 exactly and like i was talking uh, earlier about the the warranty like the void stickers and everything uh we have the magnuson moss warranty act uh which completely does away with any of those warranty void stickers basically states that like the company needs yeah. to honor the warranty no matter like you know you can remove the sticker and still if your device breaks it's still covered under the warranty and the information about a lot of these devices or the parts for these devices are the hard part for actually being able to learn and fix like your own thing. Um, a lot of the manuals and schematics, and they were talking about this at the talk too, are just not available. Yeah. You know, they said a lot of the the manuals for these devices are only available to legitimate, yeah. quote unquote, legitimate uh, repair shops and yeah. stuff like that. They're only made available there. Direct vendors, approved vendors and stuff. And the thing yes, is, yeah, yeah. 
I think it was kind of the inevitable step. They saw the mistakes they made. Some of the stuff, uh, and I believe this this came up in a crypto episode, but it might have been a, a different episode. But we talked about uh, some of the early freaking stuff where the nine where the new nine one one standard manuals were put out online, were published in bulletin board system, and. When the hacker was, and I just, I man, I wish I remembered the name. I need to listen to all of my episodes like every single <laughs> week so that I can remember everything. Right, yeah. But the thing that they found, like he got them through dumpster diving, but it mm-hmm. turns out that they could have just mail ordered the manuals. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And I think that they learned from episodes mm-hmm. like that, and they're being much more circumspect about how they're constraining that information and the places that that the old school folks used to get information from dumpster diving being a non-trivial one. It's Mm -hmm. just harder and harder and harder. Their fences are better. We have DRM built into digitally transmitted docs, all that fun. And it becomes a lot harder to get leaked data nowadays than there, than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of legal like wiggle room there with them claiming like copyright over like, Oh, well you can, fix the device if you want we just copyright all of the schematics and the material in regards to the device so like good luck like basically you have to write your own uh, which yeah, well, some, they, some people are doing yeah well they say that to a degree but every time but a lot of times that i see that i also see them going after the people that are doing that and having a chilling effect on that so it's mm-hmm. like it, it's a disingenuous argument yeah 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 exactly and th- there is an exemption in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act uh, that doesn't make it legal for you to jailbreak your device. Though while it's legal to do this, that does not mean manufacturers have to allow you to do it. They love to push out updates and issue fixes and all sorts of things to try to prevent you from jailbreaking and make it as hard as possible for a lot of their devices. There's been a big push to kind of force the design of these devices to incorporate the idea of making repairing them easy. Uh, mm-hmm. France has a repairability index that they run. Um, this assigns scores in hopes of shifting customer buying behavior towards, you know, products that are actually high up on the list saying that, you know, like, Hey, these are very easy to repair. Yeah. Modular, modularity and repairability and, and stuff like that. In fact, mm-hmm. that's driven in my mind, a lot of the build your own PC side mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. That's been huge. I mean, I've been building them for, 30 years now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I so I've very much been for good chunks one part at a time for various pieces, video mm-hmm. cards when I'm gaming, a bigger hard drive, more memory, and then eventually when when things uh, you know the whole mother m- motherboard um CPU thing and and a lot of times even at that point some of the parts get carried over you know instead of buying yeah. a system all at once yeah oh yeah yeah i i like piecemeal and skeletalize my system kind of tackling whatever is the lowest hanging fruit and going from there um and there have been various efforts at lap for laptop modularization and, mm-hmm. but it's never been at the point where you can basically do that no no yeah yeah definitely not and I, I mean, even now, still, like you can have, you know, the motherboards are kind of tied to the the chip vendor, AMD yeah. or Intel. But by the time you're upgrading, you're you're usually changing motherboard and CPU at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But your your graphics card is not tied to like like mm-hmm. it's not like you have to have you know an AMD card attached to you know a system that also you know you can swap out Nvidia. You can mm-hmm. you know and. Well, France has that repair, repairability index. Uh, the U.S. has the EPEAT registry, 
but EP lacks a hard focus on repairability. Um, mm -hmm. It has a lot of other metrics that it uh, prescribes to its sustainability scores. One example of this sort of reliability and everything going on is Nintendo was sued fairly recently over uh, Joy-Kind drift, basically causing the owners of the Switch to have to send in their controllers uh, for Nintendo to fix them. A lot of the, the Joy-Cons for the Switch uh, eventually started experiencing drift, making your character just kind of move, even though you weren't mm -hmm. touching any part of it. And there was a Polygon article that cited the drift occurring to some people only three months after they purchased the console. So it's not like this was, you know, a year or two after the fact. And yeah. this, uh, this one person, even after sending in their controller for a fix, the issue came back within several months. And this was a $40 fix. You had to pay to have this fixed by Nintendo. And this kept happening to people um, for like three, four, five repairs of Joy-Cons. So mm. like the, the lawsuit basically implied that like this is down in how Nintendo designed this, uh, these controllers and like they're to blame for this sort of thing. And, you know, you, you designed a faulty controller and now you're charging people to fix it for them. Yeah. I mean, both the, hey, we're going to suck basically a, a fee out of you at least once a year as a maintenance cost that yeah. you really can't get away from. Honestly, that's also a way of getting the physical hardware for a significant amount of the population back to you to make sure you could upgrade the DRM on the controller mm -hmm. yeah, or yeah. whatever. Uh, when I did the episode on DVD, I think it was the third Crypto Wars episode. One of the problems with that kind of system is that you basically can't interact with the hardware after you've um, put it out in the world. This is right. a way to get around that. Maybe yes. not perfectly, but it, <laughs> but when I see, oh, you have to check your hardware in, and we're thinking about DRM and limitations, and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you've now got an avenue to do that. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm not saying this is being done, but like, you know, modern console controllers now are all USB um, mm -hmm. through yeah. the attachment. So easily, like, put a bug in the controller that requires you to ship it back every year to fix it and have the controller have some thing that also checks into the console and then like, Oh, did you mod your console? Well, now the controller doesn't work at all. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. From a security world, I could predict vectors reasonably mm. well. I can't necessarily predict what people are going to do with them. I don't really have a great track record for that. And I don't know anybody that has I like right. the new way to exploit it because as soon as there's like a new real good idea, somebody goes and does it. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't yeah, like yeah. make it out in the world for a little bit. So it's, this is a, this is a vector. It could be used. I couldn't tell you how to make it like at the, what point it becomes useful from a cost benefit point of view, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It could happen. I just don't have a story right now on how on how that can happen. And I'm not accusing Sony of that. I'm just saying that becomes a regular practice. That avenue opens up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I wasn't thinking about this as I was writing my notes, but this kind of ties into the whole push for, you know, always online games. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of the like the storefronts that only offer you digital copies of the games. And it's like, okay, great. Like this, this game is always online. It runs on a server. What happens in five years when the game yeah. It's no longer profitable for the company and they shut down the server. You you can't play that game that you paid $60, $70 for. And now it's, yeah, it's just either sitting on your system and taking up hard drive space or it's just a CD that does nothing. I mean, the world of uh, GOG, good old games. Well, that's a weird situation because we have all of these games from the 90s that I grew up on. 
that I built those computers for. Mm-hmm. Some of those games I wanted to do some replay of, and some of them I could through GOG, and some of mm-hmm. them are really hard to do because of the way the DRM works and everything. Uh, the one game that is constantly remains elusive for me is a game called Ascendancy. Okay. They ported it to an iPad, but I don't have an iPad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you had a world of games that were never intended to go on after their their sales life. Right. And, then in a, and then we're in an internet world that finally could remember all of that stuff and retain it forever because nothing ever gets deleted from the internet-ish. And there was no time between the standalone games that we might be able to get old copies of as the world as, as games progressed and those mm-hmm. and that game no longer became saleable to right. yeah, a world yeah. of everything online so there was never mm-hmm. like a period well maybe there was a little bit of a period of like good standalone games that you might get on at least a significant discount if not basically free mm-hmm. down the road when their sales life was over because these games when their sales life is over the servers are turned off yeah 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 exactly it's completely different than like i remember uh one of my favorite games was the original xeno gears and they square stopped manufacture of that disc and the price skyrocketed i think at one point it was like maybe two three hundred dollars for the game itself and then finally finally they came back and started issuing new copies of it and drove the price down but at least that's a game where if you had the physical media you can play it no matter what right you know there's there's no service associated to it and like on the topic of extending like life another major factor for right to repair is the ability to be, you know install custom software and devices to extend the life beyond when the manufacturer stops support to mm-hmm. kind of like you know eke out more time on that uh sonos tried to sunset support for older devices that were still in use you know years back and ness attempted to disable the revolve hub back in 2016 after they acquired the company. So they bought out this company that had this hub that could, you know, pull in all of your smart devices in your house. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to disable and sunset that completely. Just because he offered too much functionality? Yes. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I want to go back a second. The the, the mm-hmm. Moss Magnuson Act, the, war- the void warranty void, those are okay. illegal. There is a fine involved. And if you find one, if any of the listeners find one, you can report it there are apparently law firms that will do the the suing for you, but you should go to at least search and look at the FTC's uh, website because that's kind of like uh, um, catching a um, a telemark an illegal telemarketer. Mm. You have the information. The fine is actually worthwhile to you, and that's part of the enforcement mechanism. Interesting. So, okay. So yeah. I'm just Good to know. you know public service announcement. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And, you know, I, I think we talked about this on previous episodes when talking about, like, you know, Internet of Things and whatnot. But the mm-hmm. fact that everything's becoming more smart, like, you know, yeah. and that means more chips embedded into the systems. You know, it's harder more to just kind of... More communications protocols, mm-hmm. more yeah. authentication mechanisms. It's harder to fix all this stuff now. You know, like, mm-hmm. back in the day, your fridge, you know, went on the fritz or your washer or something like that. You could just call in a handyman or you knew how to like mm-hmm. fix it yourself. Now with all these embedded chips and everything, you know, that's becoming harder and harder to do, yeah. especially when you are not given the manuals or schematics in order to like do your research. Well, I hate to be a little bit of a devil's advocate on this side, mm-hmm. but especially for things like that for washers, because I recently did a repair of my fair of my 
oldish washer here at home. Um, and I ended up doing some more reading about it than I maybe would have. Um, mm -hmm. Even as old as my washer is, you would get the entire block panel itself, all the circuit boards together. Now, mm -hmm. that might be if you have enough electrical engineering knowledge or, or you know circuit repair knowledge, you might be able to fix that. But right. it is so much easier nowadays. Part mm -hmm. of what enabled IoT is instead of having chips on a board, we now mm -hmm. have the entire system on a chip. So it may not be physically possible to repair a lot of these things because we've integrated so much on a single die. Mm. So like there are, as much as I am an advocate for right to repair or and right to hack, which is a thing I think we're going to get to a little bit later based on our pre-show discussion, mm -hmm. right, right. there are limitations to how much you can do with it. Yeah, and... yeah, that is very true. That is a good point. Mm. Yeah, and you know we've talked about iFixit. Um, it's one of many sites that has a lot of uh, repair tools available for people to purchase. YouTube has a ton mm -hmm. of channels devoted to this sort of thing. Um, people writing their own documentation for these devices, all that sort of stuff. I have a kit from them. I've mm -hmm. done a few iPhone repairs myself. Battery swaps, screen swaps. Right, um, right, right, yeah. Everybody said that things got a little bit more difficult, but I did uh, most of the stuff that I did on 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 a five and then a six. And the six was supposed to be worse, but it was so much easier to work in. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which I and, thought was funny, but yeah, exactly. And it goes beyond you know, just kind of extending the life in order to like, hey, you paid X amount of money for this. You want to keep it as long as possible. You know, mm -hmm. if you're not seeking for the newest and greatest. Um, there's also well, I mean, for me, one of the things was they they're they're some of the design decisions they made of making the phone bigger. I didn't mm -hmm. want. Mm, yeah, that that is a good point. Yeah, like that. And it also cuts down on e-waste. Um, mm -hmm. a lot of this is, yep. you know, just this mentality of yeah something's broken just throw it in the trash <laughs> you know like get the new one and i'm gonna i'm gonna pick on apple here mm -hmm. uh a they're, little they're bit. easy to pick on on this yeah one. <laughs> yeah yeah they're, they're very easy to pick on and i i have um actual personal experience with this as well too yeah and you know one major thing is apple has their genius bars but i mean how many how many genius bars are you finding in rural america mm-hmm the one near where I grew up was about an hour and a half, two hours away. And we were not even like that far up into like the boonies. Um, yeah. You know, then you're, then you're talking like yeah. three, four hours. Apple and a lot of other very Silicon Valley focused companies are like urban centers. We concentrate everything in urban centers. It's awesome if you live in an urban center, but what if you don't? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I remember going home over the holidays. I think it was the holidays one time. And something had happened with my mother's phone and, you know, she had not activated iCloud. So her phone had all the photos of my nephew and like, you know, like her friends, some of whom had passed away, like all these, all these things on it. And she was devastated. So I drove her, you know, two hours to the genius bar and they basically said, oh, that sucks. Like here, we can show you all the new phones and kind of help you out that way. And I was like, that, that does not get us like, is there any, you know, I, kind of grilled them like there's got to be some way to like pull pull the information off or something like figure something out and they they would not provide any sort of help and apple created this problem because mm -hmm. in an effort to own everything unlike most android phones they have no external storage chip mm -hmm. that you could have saved things off to um just like you can't replace the uh physical battery um, these yeah. were design decisions they made to paint you into this corner. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so what I did was, I'm actually looking up the YouTube video right now. I found this woman that works for uh, iPad Rehab, and she has uh, a YouTube channel and does a lot of the stuff where people send her in, um, you know, iPhones, any Apple products, stuff like that, and she fixes it. I think she's based out of New York City as well. And so I found her. I sent the phone to her. I think it cost like maybe like 200 bucks or something like that. So it wasn't that bad. And on a YouTube video, she went through and fixed it. And it turned out to be just like a single capacitor she had to swap out. That was all it was. And then she sent it back to us. My mom was able to get all her photos off of there. You know, I did teach her how to use the iCloud to back everything up from that point on. But sure. I mean, and, and I understand that, that, you know, you should have used the cloud to back your stuff up and yada, yada. But mm. I mean, that's not a good answer. It's okay. Maybe to say you should have done a thing or you shouldn't done a thing when mm. it's a one person thing, but we're talking about the entire population of people who use the phone, who, who use iPhones. Yeah. That's, that's not reasonable to say, no, you're just out of luck iPhones are built in a way to be very user-friendly. Yes. And so that intrinsically means that a lot of people that are not tech-savvy are going to migrate towards iPhones because they're mm -hmm. very easy to use. You don't have a lot of customization options, and you can't really screw it up. But tech-savvy people are not going to know about the cloud and like all this other stuff, especially when it is kind of a... I think it was like a second-hand iPhone. So it's not mm -hmm. like she bought it from the Apple Store and they like you know did everything for her there. I think she bought it from a family member or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, and they pushed about uh, against unlocking phones mm -hmm. so that you could pass them from user to user without having to involve a whole big thing. I mean, this is part and parcel with cell phone with a cell number portability was also mm -hmm. like unlocking phones. You know, it's not just Apple too. Samsung mm -hmm. has this issue where a lot of the times if you break a screen on a Samsung phone nowadays and you bring it in, they'll tell you it'll cost more to fix that screen than it will to just buy a brand new phone. Mm -hmm. And so like back to the e-waste thing, they'll, you know, say, well, just chuck it in the trash. Like, you know, here, buy a new phone. And Samsung also has a variety of tools available to them and their trusted uh, repair shops that give them diagnostic options that they do not release to the public. So other shops, you know, do not have this available to them. Yeah. So they're kind of, you know, cornering the market there when it comes to, you know, their own products and repairing them. Yeah. Uh, so are you going to go over any of the automotive stuff? Uh, no, I, I'm not talking or touching on any of the automotive stuff. Because I just, it parallels to me automotive repair because right. cars already went through a piece of this discussion when Congress mandated the OBD2 port being mm -hmm. standardized on all cars. I think we might have mentioned some stuff related to that in some of the car hacking episodes that you did. Yes, yeah. But also part of that was making the tech data purchasable by repair shops that weren't that weren't in the authorized network. Mm -hmm. Because there was a time period and and uh, I just happened to to know a couple of mechanics cuz I'm a townie that were in that era of that in between era of where computers were and cars were being computerized right but getting the diagnostic functionality was too expensive for an independent shop to have for every make and model yeah like I, i've seen like you can go down to uh, advanced auto parts and stuff like that and in the back they have all the manuals for every model of car <laughs> from like you know set year to set year that sort of yeah. thing too like you know they're all available for you to look through 
it, we're going through, I think, a similar thing in the tech world, but mm-hmm. I don't know that we're going to have as easy a solution. And I think part of how that legislation happened was just because it affects so many people. And the car manufacturing world is a relatively small number of companies that need to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. I think in the tech world, even for just phones, it will be a, a harder job to do that. But we're not just talking about phones when we're talking about this stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm going to touch in like just a few about John Deere, like tractors. Yeah. And one of the main backlashes uh, from pretty much all these companies, including John Deere, is that if they open up their devices to be able to be easily repairable, um, well, that means you can also hack these devices very easy, and that's bad for everyone. Yeah, so, no, the, the, I'm going to let you finish, and now okay. we're and then we're going to go into my mm-hmm. right to hack rant. Yeah, yeah so Paul, Paul F. Roberts <laughs> of uh, SecuRepairs.org, uh, you know, agrees that security is a real issue when it comes to that. But he said, "quote uh, The right to repair is not really part of that conversation." So I don't agree, mm. but I take it from a very different angle than the than the manufacturers are saying. Time and time again, vendors have been proven to not be really trustable to do their own vulnerability research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've seen presentations at power meters. We talked about some of the work that um, what's the insulin pump and ATMs, uh, Barnaby Jack. Oh, Barnaby Jones, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's like I know what he did, and I know that there's a J in there. Uh, but <laughs> so uh, the Barnaby Jack work on like everything that he did not just the insulin pumps and pacemakers but also the atm stuff right yeah 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 the whole point and i need to do a full episode on like the white hat black hat gray hat thing but Mm -hmm. we started from a world in the old dark days of unix where the white hats only believed the vendor and the vendor left back doors in their system the vendors didn't patch a bunch of vulnerabilities that they knew about the black hat conferences started all of the research started because there was a rogue separatist movement that was like, okay, what are the hackers really doing? They could tell us. And we went to a full disclosure movement where mm-hmm. when a vulnerability was found, the disclosure of how to do it went out on the full disclosure mailing list so right. that people knew how to protect against it, or at least could co- formulate protections. We've progressed from that point to a world of dis- responsible disclosure, which right. I think is kind of the defense against that. But the fact was that the vendor could not be... So vendors can't can't be trusted to do that even now, even with bug bounty programs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the research community is more than you can engage before production. Mm-hmm. And so the right to hack and and get the security community involved, especially now that we're mature and there's a real industry around it, is, I think, significantly safer than trying to keep everything behind a, an obfuscated wall of, of DRM and chilling effect. Yeah, yeah we, we've proven many eyes is like a legitimate security tactic. Yeah. And like they have to be interested eyes, but I don't think mm-hmm. that that's been a problem. No. And with... The, the the second uh, um, IoT episode that we did that that I did about the insulin pumps and Barnaby Jack and all that, all of the work to improve the way that all of those pumps worked was predicated on the work that Barnaby Jack did to hack it, mm-hmm. which is the reason why I don't agree that right to repair and 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 hacking of devices are separate. But I think the right to hack is imperative to making the right to repair work. And I think that it is generally beneficial for the ecosystem. Yeah, I agree. Rant closed. (laughs) (laughs) So there was one other talk. I missed this one. 
but I've since looked through some of the notes. I got to find the video too. But uh, Sick Codes had a presentation where he showed off a new jailbreak for tractors for the John Deere. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this was a big like thing people were talking about. Like, oh, you got to go come, got to come watch this. In fact, I think the panel mentioned like, hey, tomorrow this thing, and then I completely yeah, that forgot. was the one that Corey Doctorow was at, and I actually mm-hmm. saw that one. But uh, one of the and I don't remember which talk it was, but the there was another talk up against it that was a lot more relevant for my current work, and I was like, I, I can't miss this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He, he took control of the model uh, 4240 through its display and mm-hmm. uh, apparently was playing a corn-themed version of Doom on the, uh, the yeah. touchscreen, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. I'm and... all ears. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the exploit took months as Six Code sought to bypass the John Deere's dealer authentication requirement and eventually was able to uh, game a reboot to make the device think it was being accessed by a certified dealer. Mm -hmm. And from there, he found uh, inside logs that are used by dealers to help diagnose problems. And that allowed him to kind of like find another path to accomplish another timing attack, which Mm -hmm. led to the exploit itself. And eventually uh, he soldered controllers directly onto the circuit board and bypassed the protections. And this, this was how he kind of like got the ability to upload this, uh, Corn Doom and uh, mm-hmm. I guess Colonel Hack. Aha! <laughs> I see what you did there. Kind of popping off, are you? <laughs> exactly. In 2021, he had described uh, how controlling of these tractors by bad actor could lead to, you know, quote unquote, denial of service when it comes to agriculture, just over spraying a field with pesticides and ruining it, you know, causing havoc on the food supply chain. I'll give you a better thing because hmm. we know that some of the firmware, firmware that is being used by um, the the non-sanctioned firmware uh, mm-hmm. is rumored to have come from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Ukraine. Mm-hmm. What happens if you could firmware slam your your tractors that maybe the Russian as they took ground did that mm-hmm. and didn't have to physically disable them in order to deny them to the uh, to the Ukrainians and then they could come back if they ever took the territory again and reactivate them through software. Yeah, we were um, we we're outside talking to someone. I think one of the infrastructure hack talks or something like that. The the guy that was kind of guarding the door because the talk was completely full. Yeah, that was the yeah that was a uh, SCADA and infrastructure <clears throat> controllers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he was mentioning that you know a lot of thought has been put into the fact of like put out attacks early on to kind of like cripple infrastructure of you know the the nation that you're targeting make it look like they just can't, you know, keep their shit up to date yes. and service their citizens, then move in as an occupying, but, you know, quote unquote, liberating force of like, hey, you know, like we're coming in. And as you move through, reactivate everything and fix all the things you broke yourself. Yeah, that that's specifically mm-hmm. a Russian tactic and and part of their whole hybrid warfare thing, which we've alluded to several times. But I mm-hmm. I really want to get a running start at talking about like all of the stuff related to that. But yes, mm-hmm. it's not just a theoretical thing. That's very much what they were doing. We have an ep- uh, an episode that you did at the very end of season four about the Ukrainian power stuff. And mm-hmm. as I read more about that attack and subsequent ones, that was basically what they were trying to do to power transmission in Ukraine. Um, yes, and yeah. they took several cracks at it. So mm-hmm. it's like a real world attack that we've seen. 
Yeah, and Kyle Weens, uh, who's the CEO of iFixit, uh, during this talk tweeted out, you know, quote, turns out our entire food system is built on outdated, unpatched Linux and Windows CE hardware with LTE modems. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. And Not Windows really. CE, it was Windows, so you had a lot of developers who could make things work on it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just at the time when computers for embedded control got cheap enough to put into everything. And so you have all of this stuff that people who use that use for as long as they can keep it running. Mm -hmm. And they're running on the same Windows CE, which is, if I recall correctly, essentially based on the guts of old Windows before Mm -hmm. NT, like Windows 95-ish stuff, where under the guts there's DOS. Right, right. I'm prepared to be wrong about that one because mm-hmm. I'm I'm like I'm going way back in the archives. <laughs> I haven't had to, I haven't had to uh, d- deal with Windows CE for a very long time. So right, forgive me if I if my recollection is incorrect. Yeah, yeah. And John Deere issued a public statement after this that um, you know basically cited well the the attack obviously required direct access to your device and uh, no customer data or network or anything had been harmed or was at mm-hmm. risk from this. But, you know, John Deere also has a history of trying their hardest to be very anti-consumer um, and mm-hmm. stopping the ability for customers to repair their tractors. And, like, we're talking about tractors that are just enormously expensive, like yeah. like taking out a mortgage to buy these things, these, you know, and then not giving their customers the ability to repair them in any way. Yeah. Uh, we know farms run on debt. Like, there's a, yes. there's a lot of money in like there's a lot of money in motion around farming but mm-hmm. it's very much a you get paid a fair bit of money but you had to borrow a lot of money to make to to make that money and balancing that out is really the tough thing this is one of those weird counter argument things the independent farmer is there's fewer and fewer of them every year mm-hmm. a thing that we that is not super visible to a lot of people is that there are a handful of extraordinarily large conglomerates conagra is probably the biggest one that do most of the farming in the u.s at this point i remember reading years ago of monsanto and their you know bioengineering Mm -hmm. of uh seed Mm -hmm. and that if you were a farmer who bought monsanto seed and paid for it and everything and you planted your field but the farmer next door to you did not when winds came or whatever and swept parts of your seed over into his field, Monsanto could then go into that farmer and basically be like, you're using our seed. You have to pay us now. Yeah. I mean, all of this is just a matrix to turn a bunch of thing of things that were capital expenses that you could get recurring use out of mm-hmm. into recurring expenses and like vendor lock-in and, and an economic model that w- would legitimately have worked terms of like capital use and stuff they've they've been in economic terms rent seeking on this recurring money model yeah but the thing is like you're saying in either case once you're locked in you can't easily get out of it you have invested in that tractor yeah yeah exactly that like rent seeking behavior too um you know for any gamers listening like that's that's battle passes you know yes. that this this whole concept now of oh cool you paid seventy dollars for the game that's great give us thirty dollars every six months or whatever if you want to be able to access any of these maps um I'll point to the new Overwatch which is a game based around having characters that you know counter other characters 
Mm-hmm. And now some of those characters are tied behind a battle pass, meaning that if you don't want to pay for it, you are at a complete disadvantage yeah. already. Even if that character becomes unlocked after six months, it doesn't matter because you just went six months handicapped and you are handicapping your team because they are all now very angry at anyone that they get queued with that does not have those characters. Yeah, you can unqueue them after six months, but there will be a new set of characters. Mm-hmm. There will exactly. be a new meta. In my opinion, and I'm not as much of a gamer anymore as I used to be, mm-hmm. but in my opinion, that kind of gatewaying the battle pass, you're essentially saying you cannot play with the current user base. You are fenced out of that. It is not you are at a disadvantage. It almost always devolves into you are just boxed out. Yeah. And like we've seen this before, but the way it was handled was kind of like if one person had the DLC or one person had the map pack and then everyone kind of got to, to use it. Right now, now the it's the opposite now. Yeah, yeah. Now is everyone's got to have it or, you know, you're sitting. I mean, you're not even sitting on the sidelines like, you know, you just can't mm-hmm. use that character. And mm-hmm. we're talking Blizzard here. So anyone who knows Blizzard games knows that they can't balance anything. And they're very prone to brand new hero costs money. Great. Um, completely unbalanced and can destroy things. Six months later when available for people, uh, we, we finally ran a patch. Um, we toned down everything when adjusted the numbers. Uh, I like to call it the Warhammer effect because uh, <laughs> I did tabletop games too because mm. giant nerd. Um, and uh, I mean, Warhammer, Warhammer 40K been around forever, basically. And they had the effect of whoever had the most recent book was the best army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny. I think that not only did Blizzard steal all of the races and dynamics uh, from Warhammer, they also stole their sales tactics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, so that's all I have on right to repair. And I will just end by saying that um, my orc boys are my favorite faction. And I love the fact that they just believe so hard that things work that they do. I have to admit, I like the Tau. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to. I know they're the, that they are a weenie faction, but I like the Tau. <laughs> I like the Eldar-ish, but they never really sat with me. And as soon as the Tau came out, I was like, yeah, those are my words. But then mm. I, by then I, I bought the book and didn't play. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.